Hello and welcome to Sound Business, covering some of the most interesting stories and talking to some of the most interesting people from the world of audio. I'm Jim Salverson and it's a quick blast of Sound Business today as I speak to Dr Kate Vigors about the work the BBC has been doing in Ukraine to restore communication channels using shortwave radio following the Russian invasion of the country. At the beginning of March, the BBC announced that they would be using shortwave radio transmissions to provide a good, trustworthy new source after the Kremlin blocked international news in their own country and continued to target communication channels in Ukraine. Now, I'm sure I wasn't alone in seeing shortwave radio as a bit of a dead, outdated medium. So the fact it can play such an important role in communication now, I think is a fascinating area and one that I knew very little about. To help try and put that right, I chatted to historian, presenter and author Dr. Kate Vigors, who is not only across the current activity, but also an expert when it comes to where and when and how this kind of project has been used throughout history and the impact it has had on those occasions. So let's do this. Dr. Kate on the use of shortwave radio in Russia and Ukraine. Dr. Kate Vigors, how are you and where are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm in the sunny Midlands at the moment. Thank you very much for talking to us today on Sound Business. Fascinating area of discussion around a medium that, I'll be honest with you, until very recently, I thought was a little bit dead. I thought it was in the past. We're talking about shortwave radio and particularly its use that has come into the news recently within the Ukraine, um, the BBC. Well, in fact... You're much more informed in this area than I am. <laughs> Tell us exactly what the BBC have done in the Ukraine and the neighbouring countries in terms of shortwave radio. So um, with the lack of internet, social media, being able to get access to propaganda-free news, the BBC have decided to put shortwave radio back uh, in Ukraine, in Russia and in surrounding countries so that those being affected by the current conflict can have access to the news as it's happening rather than uh, as they wish it was happening in terms of the invaders or, um, you know, it's just not loaded with propaganda. It's Mm. just, it's good, straightforward news in a way that's accessible because uh, as we know, the technology has been sort of cut off at its knees. And although shortwave radio is old fashioned, as you said, it, it is the most accessible medium for people to be able to get this information at the moment. You say it's been put back in. What does that mean from a implementation point of view? Is it a simple case of flipping a switch? Does the hardware that's required to do this already exist? What What are the kind of difficulties and complications around that? That's a really good question. So I, I imagine, and I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly, because uh, while I know about the radio programs, the actual means of doing it are a little beyond me. I'm not terribly technical. Mm. But I imagine they're just going in on uh, shortwave transmitters rather than using uh, medium or long wave. And of course, digital radio is kind of the way forwards at the moment. So I think in terms of the, the way the BBC are doing it, it's, it's um, using instruments that are already available. In terms of receiving it, I think that's a different matter. I was talking to a friend of a few weeks ago about this and he said you know if you just had an aerial and a crystal you can get shortwave radio and and they did it as kids sort of in the 60s Mm. and 70s so in terms of receiving it it's fairly straightforward as long as you've got the right stuff to to get it 
You're making me feel old. I remember building shortwave radios when I was at school, which thankfully wasn't in the 60s or 70s. So maybe it's a still common practice somewhere. Yeah, so- I don't think it's as obsolete as we think it is. But I think the fact that it's being done and the fact it's hit the news is is so important. I, I guess because of the news that's reaching the people who need it, really. And they're having a reality check uh, in terms of you know everything that's reaching them and that is being said. So why is this important? And why has the BBC felt it's its responsibility to do this, do you think? I think the BBC uh, has this overarching responsibility, uh, or feels it has, because it's got a history of doing this kind of stuff. You know, it's got a history through the Second World War, through the Cold War, of delivering information into occupied territories, really. Not only uh, in terms of news, but in terms of morale boosting, you know, entertainment programs and music. Now, I don't know if that's what they're doing in Ukraine. I haven't actually tuned in to to listen, nor would I understand it, I must be honest, (laughs) uh, if I did, with my lack of language skills here. But, uh, you know, they have this history of being the go-to. And I just think it's brilliant, really, that they're, they're doing that they've been so reliable in the past I think they want Mm. to be the people who can be relied on now and I know when the invasion started I remember them saying you know we can't say a lot at the moment because this is a war of propaganda as well as everything else and they've obviously decided to take a stance on that which I think is really important You say the BBC have got a heritage of doing this so what are the examples of this being done in the past maybe by the BBC or maybe by other organisations and it being used as 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 a tool of war I guess Yes. So I think the most obvious example is Radio Londres, which started in 1940 after the uh, invasion and the fall of France. It was broadcast from BBC headquarters in London and General de Gaulle, who was uh, you know, the self-professed leader of the French in exile uh, over here in London, would go on the radio and make speeches and sort of uh, the most famous one probably was the one in June of 1940 where he rallied everybody to come to the resistance. I have a little quote here. He said, whatever happened the flame of the French resistance must not be extinguished and will not be extinguished. Unfortunately, because it was such a new radio station, nobody was actually tuning into it yet. Um, (laughs) So of the 10,000 French people in Britain, only 300 people volunteered. But it has been held up in history as being this sort of unique moment, really, where de Gaulle spoke to the French and, and got them to rise up. And then Radio Londres continued to broadcast out of London into occupied France for the duration of the war until the liberation of Paris. And it was counteracting the Vichy or the Nazi-run radio stations, which were sort of pushing propaganda, if you like. They were um, reminders of Nazi control. There was Mm. speeches by Hitler, propaganda, music was banned by Jewish composers and so on. So they were kind of counteracting one another. And Radio Londres played a very important role actually in two ways in terms of war not just influencing civilians but influencing the resistance especially in the run-up to d-day it was illegal to listen to this radio if you were caught by the nazis or by the milice who were the french police who collaborated with the nazis you would be arrested You, you could even be executed for it it was illegal to listen to it but people went ahead and they did listen to it And the resistance started to use it. So on the 1st of June 1944, we know that there were 200 standby messages broadcast across the BBC into the heart of France telling people that the invasion was on its way. 
Come the 5th of June, 24 hours ahead of D-Day itself, there was a call to arms. It was a, a poem that had been agreed would be read. So it wasn't even, hey, D-Day's here. It was, it was coded. But people knew to rise up and to start striking out. So 960 railways were blown up. 32 wow. telephone lines were cut. The resistance knew just from these messages on the BBC. So really, really important stuff. And just to keep going with this one, if I may, mm. an SOE, Special Operations Executive Agent, guy called Georges Begay, realised that the personal messages that were broadcast on the BBC, especially after Dunkirk and Frenchmen had been evacuated to England but wanted to communicate back home, they had these personal messages that could be broadcast. And he thought, well, these are a great way for London to contact the resistance and to send a message. It's not coded, but the Germans thought it was, so they sat and tried to crack it. But it was just agreed across a different kind of wireless, you know, the one with Morse code. Mm. So if you said something like, Jean has a long moustache a resistance group somewhere outside Paris might know that that meant tonight there's going to be an arms drop or a parachute drop. Uh, and this all just comes across Radio Londres. So I personally think it's the most amazing thing. So the use of it is multifaceted, I guess. It's not only a kind of morale thing, letting the people of Ukraine or whatever country we're talking about feeling like they're not alone there's an entertainment element potentially with content being broadcast that isn't just messages or news or information but also an operational benefit as well potentially yeah absolutely and and yes there is that uh, morale boosting there's music there's comedy there's sketches dramas uh, you know as well as the news certainly in the case of 1940 as i said i'm not entirely sure about ukraine today but i'd like to think that there's some morale boosting going on as well when was the last time something like this was attempted or achieved? Do we have to go right the way back to the 1940s in order to see it in action? We don't, actually, because we've got Radio Free Europe, which broadcast out of Munich, both on short and medium wave transmitters during the Cold War. They uh, said that you couldn't stop a sound wave getting through the Iron Curtain. And the idea was that Radio Free Europe transmitted uncensored news and information to an audience behind the Iron Curtain. So, again, we're looking at propaganda. And not only that, it played a really significant role. And, and it's very topical, isn't it, in the collapse of communism mm. and in the rise of democracy in post communist Europe. In fact, it was so important, it was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991. Again, it played music, it offered news, it offered an alternative, really, to sort of that heavy communist propaganda that was so popular during the Cold War. So we know this is being used in Ukraine. Is there any indication or do we know whether it's being used in Russia as well? Because we know the media over there is state controlled there's been a huge crackdown on anything that isn't coming out of the kremlin be it social media television radio the whole lot so is it being used to kind of combat the propaganda that's being broadcast by the states in russia itself as well I think that's the idea, um, the idea that it is able to uh, be picked up in Russia. But again, whether the Russian people know that or have access to be able to do that or what the reprisals would be if they were caught doing mm. it, I don't know. I imagine it's pretty similar to what I've just said regarding the 40s, that there would be a severe crackdown on it because you said everything is state controlled and... Uh, they won't want the, the truth getting out, I suppose. There was a lovely moment in the news last week when Putin said that he'd taken out 1,300 tanks, to which Zelensky replied, well, that's amazing because we've only got 800. Um, <laughs> and it's things like that, that kind of news <laughs> that uh, cheers us all up a bit because isn't he an amazing man? But, you know, maybe he's saying these things or maybe these things are being said out in Russia that are just blatant propaganda or uh, stories. 
So why shortwave radio? Because surely in 2022 there are better and more technologically current solutions to this issue. I think it's purely uh, because of the situation that internet access is restricted. Social media has certainly been um, taken down and banned in Russia. You can't even access the BBC websites at the moment. Um, They've been issuing information on ways that you can bypass all of this. But of course, the way they're giving out that information is through the internet. So I, I just think it's the easiest, cheapest and simplest way to get this out to a mass audience uh, who are in a time of conflict doing the very best they can with the little resources they have. You sound like you're very passionate and a huge advocate of this move the BBC have taken. What could it genuinely mean to the people of Ukraine? Can it really have an impact on how events unfold, how the war continues over the next months and years? I don't think it can have an effect in terms of, you know, it's not armaments, it's not support in in a practical way but it is there to provide information uh, what i mean is you can't fight using a radio uh, although the soe and the resistance did try in the second world war were very successful but i think it means they know they're not alone they're getting legitimate real news stories coming through and they know that the support is there as well i mean there's all sorts of support happening around ukraine and i think it's just important that they know that support is there and that people are behind them i guess dr kate fascinating to talk to you about this issue it's a really fascinating move and for me i think there's always a lot of debate around how the bbc spends its money and its license fees this feels like a hundred percent undisputable brilliant way to spend that money so appreciate you joining us and giving us a bit of background no problem at all thank you for inviting me That's it for this unusually topical episode of VoiceWorks Sound Business. I hope you found that chat with Dr. Kate as fascinating as I did. You can find more from her and her work in the podcast description, all the links you need there. Normal service will be resumed next time out as we look at some of the most exciting technology and content and talking points in and around the world of audio. So please make sure you have subscribed or followed Sound Business wherever you find your podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying this series, then please do let us know. You can leave a comment or leave a review in your chosen podcasting app to let us know whether you've enjoyed the series so far or if there's any specific areas of audio and voice and sound and radio that you'd like to hear discussed in a future episode of Sound Business. But that's it for this podcast. I'll see you next time. 